Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Next Wednesday, January 10th, Max Roach, one of the major figures in the history of jazz, known not only a great drummer and bebop pioneer, but also a civil rights activist, would have turned 100 years old. On January 26th, the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, NJPAC, is hosting an event called Freedom Now, celebrating Max Roach's centennial. And joining us now is the evening's musical director, drummer Nasheed Waits, who will be leading this special one-night-only concert, and he joins us now. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. There's a lot on this lineup. Tell us what's planned for this event. Well, it is a reimagining of the of the recording, so it it encompasses, and we try to try to to almost adhere exactly to the instrumentation, not exactly, but almost at least to the amount of people. So, uh, and we and we also uh, augmented with um, Sonia Sanchez and Saul Williams. And you uh, have the, the the mayor of Newark, Raz Baraka, starting us off. Starting yeah. it off, you have. Um, uh, some very well-known musicians participating. Yeah, the last poets will will be also uh, starting it off as as well. Poets we and have... and Cassandra mm-hmm. Wilson, Ravi Coltrane. Yes. Yeah, Cassandra said... Wilson is a part of the suite. Cassandra Wilson and Ravi Coltrane and Deduzo Macatini, mm-hmm. pianist, uh, Eric Rivas, bassist. I, I can give you the whole mm-hmm. list. <laughs> um, Josh Evans, trumpet. Uh, wow. Luis Bonilla, trombone. Uh, Jordan Young, alto, Melva Santa will be playing percussion, along with Zafir Tawil and Kwaku Sumbri, and Allison Schatz will be contributing uh, video. And Robbie Coltrane is the son of John Coltrane, with whom Max Roach worked. Uh, yeah, they 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 had a, a kinship, and um, actually um, John had uh, some had some commentary. When he, um, with with regards to his um, listening to the to the Freedom Now suite, and he was talking about it, um, justifying kind of the direction or or, or solidifying it, at least in in his mind through through people who were um, like minded, um, that there doesn't necessarily have to be a, a heavy harmonic structure um, when improvising and when offering um, one's uh, music. So you see, leading into yeah. what wound up being called free jazz, I, 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 I by other people, yes. Yeah, and <laughs> yes. I know not them, but but you know, Max <laughs> right. didn't like the word bebop, so uh, terminology can be controversial no matter what. Yes, yes, true, true. I, I, but um, but just in terms of the concept of it, uh, in terms of the concept of more. Uh, of sound not necessarily being defined in in any particular terms, I think is is what they were what they were leaning towards, and uh, and this work is is one that that uh, that doesn't adhere to too much of that structure in terms of uh, 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 obvious harmony. Max and Train both recorded civil rights protest albums, so they were political as well. Was that a part of the music in general, or just certain musicians? Um, I I feel like Max was at the forefront of of that, but I feel like that feeling was held by a lot of musicians uh, and people in general who were living in the United States or anywhere around the world at that particular time. 
um, and were experiencing the type of uh, injustices that folks were experiencing. So it was a commentary on that. And uh, it, it was that this album in particular, the Freedom Now Suite, was was kind of like the first protest album or one of the early ones. So won't a reinterpretation of that album, we insist Ma Max Roach's Freedom Now Suite, be performed at this uh, concert? Yes, yes, it will be. Should we play a a, a bit of, of for Freedom Now Suite, which addresses social justice and racial inequality through the, the fusion of jazz and poetry? Let's do that. Okay, let's listen to a bit. Pretty amazing drumming there. Um, no doubt. Would you say that that kind of set a standard for musicians, drummers who followed? I mean, Max Max was a, a member of the community that was uh, definitely always pushing the um, the music forward. Um, and just a, a quick uh, comment that the the music that you just played was from the Freedom Suite that was led by Sonny Rollins. Yeah. That's, so that's a different. A yeah. different um, 
a different project, but yeah, incredible. And that, and that predated the Freedom Now Suite by, um, with Max, that was conceived by Max and Oscar Brown Jr. by a few years, maybe by two years or so. But yeah, Max, Max was this, people were always following Max. You know, he, he, he's, he definitely set a standard, but he was a part of the community of, of great musicians that were always pushing the envelope. Well, freedom in this case also having to do with civil rights, but uh, yes. there was a lot of jazz freedom there as well. Uh, certainly, certainly. There's, there's a, there's a, um, I mean, well, that's, that's part of the, the tradition. I mean, the tradition exists with freedom and discipline walking hand in hand. Well, since um, Max played with so many different kinds of musicians, um, old timers and uh, avant-gardists, did he adjust to uh, when he was playing, let's say, with Coleman Hawkins as opposed to Eric Dolphy? Certainly. Certainly. I was just talking. I mean, in many situations, like you said, he 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 was very diverse in his in his taste and in his uh, his offerings. And I was just speaking with his his daughter, Maxine, and they had a double quartet for some years with uh, her string quartet and the, and the quartet with um, that Max had with the uh, Tyrone Brown on bass and Odin Pope on tenor and Cecil Bridgewater on trumpet. And she was saying her positioning on the stage and the performances was right by Max's ride symbol. And she <laughs> said, and she said she could, it was never overbearing. She oh. said it was always, it was always like he was so sensitive to, to the moment. To give you another perspective on that, Ed Thigpen, an incredible drummer and master, master brush uh, mm -hmm. artist, was saying the first time he saw Max, he was, uh, he, you know, he sought him out because, you know, Max was, like you said, he set the standard and he was so innovative. So when Ed Thigpen said he first saw him, he was playing with, uh, I believe he said he was playing with Red Allen, who was a trumpet player from mm -hmm. Texas. An old, a, a swing musician, actually. Right, exactly, exactly. And they were playing more like swing New Orleans type music. And he said when he saw Max, Max was playing in that tradition, you know, and more like in the, in the Paul Barber and Baby Dodds, you know, Sid Catlett uh, tradition or, or way of accompanying. And uh, Ed Thigpen said he approached Max after the set and asked him why he was playing like that and why he wasn't playing like when he played with, with, uh, with Bird and dizzy and so forth. And he said, well, that's what the situation called for. This, this was with the music and, that, and that's part of the, um, the history. That's why he was able to be able to play all the stuff that he was able to play after that because he, he understood that and could replicate it. And, and was aware of the whole history of jazz. The whole history of drumming. Including, including yeah. the, the, his role in forwarding that history. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, most definitely, and I, and I think you know once you he was he was very humble. I think in in that regard, of course, he he knew that he he um he forged <laughs> uh, an incredible path for for all of us to benefit from. But um, I think the reason he was able to do that was because he he never uh, rested on his laurels. I'm speaking with Nasheed Waits, who will be uh, hosting. Uh, an event called Freedom Now, celebrating Max Roach's centennial that will be on January 26th at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, NJPAC. 
Uh, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. You'll do, be doing more than just hosting, right? Yes, I'll be <laughs> I'll be uh, behind the kid as well. Because you're a drummer, so you'll be playing? Yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm filling out the drum chair for the evening. Didn't you have a, a personal connection with Max Roach? Did he uh, give you tips on how to play? Oh yeah, even more than that. I mean, we I have a deep connection with Max and his and his family through my father, Frederick Douglass Waits. Freddie uh, Waits. Freddie affectionately known as Freddie Waits. <laughs> um, but he was a, a a founding member of Um Boom, um, the percussion group that Max started in 1970 with Warren Smith and Joe Chambers and Roy Brooks and Omar Clay. Ray Mantia, uh, later Dr. Fred mm -hmm. King. Um, so my father had a deep connection with Max and he was like a mentor and really good friend to my father. After my father passed away in 1989, Max um, was really very um, present, even more present in my life than ever before, you know, kind of you're checking in on on me and my brother. I have a younger brother to make sure that we were doing okay. And he would take me on the road and I would roadie the uh, the drums. I'd set up the drums for him and so forth and just be around him. You know, he put some money in my pocket and, and let me watch him work. Mm. Let, it, let me watch him, you know, produce shows and direct different different events. And, and then, and also just with the instrument. So it was a invaluable opportunity that he afforded me just by letting me be around him. <laughs> and I didn't realize how how rare an opportunity that was until much later. Um, but um, yeah, he's he's like a godfather. I, I I went to high school with his twin daughters. We're like sisters, so it's really like family. And you say your father was one of the members of Boom, the percussion ensemble. How many how many uh, people were playing percussion in that group? It, it varied. I believe at the beginning, though, like I said, it was Max and my father and Joe Chambers, Warren Smith, uh, Roy Brooks, Omar Clay, and Raymond Tia. And they all seven. had different roles? Uh, well, they it, it switched. They switched around. They they mutated. You know, like, like you know, not everybody just played one thing. One, one tune, you'd play timpani. Some tunes, you'd switch up. Some tunes, you'd play drums and then pick up the, you know, go to the chimes. So it was, they wanted to be in constant rotation. Um, to to exemplify the musicianship of the percussionists, because a lot of times um, drummers are are thinking are are, are treated like second class citizens on the bandstand. They're the sidemen. Yeah, uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, sidemen. Regardless, you know, like and just in terms of uh, within the concept of a band, if you want to use the word sidemen, uh, you know the the. Um, it's always uh, <laughs> the, all the jokes are like, oh, the, the the dumbest person in the band is the drummer and things of that nature. <laughs> so so he discounted that or all those gentlemen discounted that myth by playing melody, harmony and just using so much texture to um, to create some beautiful music. Um you know Warren Smith. You know, brilliant. You know, walking changes and taking solo on the timpani over the over over changes of the monk tunes and Ellington. So I mean, really, just it's that was and also like the activism within the within the concept of how the uh, the instrument was being conceived within the you know a, a quote unquote jazz. Well, um, drummers had to adjust to who they were playing with. 
if I remember correctly, um, he, I saw your father, I mean, I saw Max uh, with Thelonious Monk when I mm. was allowed into the five spot under age. Ah. But Joe Tremini, I came to the five spot uh, with a pile of Monk records under my arm. And Joe <laughs> Tremini said, how old are you, kid? And I said, 18. He, <laughs> he said, do you have your draft card? I left it home. He saw the records. He said, you really love Monk, don't you? Yes, he's my favorite. So he said, okay, come on in, kid. If the cops come, run into the men's room and lock the door. <laughs> we need more of that out here. We need more of that community spirit out here. That's, that's a beautiful story. Uh, well, I, I didn't have to run into the, the, the men's room, but I didn't order drinks because I didn't want to cause any trouble. That's great, though. So, But you got to hear the, the music. It, was it a trio or was it a quartet? Or it was, was a quartet. He had a saxophone player. And Monk did his thing where he jumped up in the middle and did a dance. Yes. <laughs> he was a very yes. eccentric guy. That must have been weird for uh, Max to be playing with somebody where you never knew what was going to happen. I don't think so. I think that they looked forward to not things always changing. Mm -hmm. That was something that he was... Um, firm in his beliefs about was like not ever anything being the same. He was like, yeah, you know, like when I talked to you before about recreating, that was a knowledge of it. And when you can insert it in places where it's necessary, but ultimately the goal was to have a, a personal relationship with the creative source. Won't the documentary on Max Roach's life and impact also be shown at this event? Will it be? I don't, it may be shown earlier. I don't know if it's going to be shown that night. I know there's so many activities surrounding Max's uh, centennial. I, I can't keep up with all of them. I'm really just focused on this performance and I know what's happening immediately around that. I don't know if the film is being shown. Maybe it could be being shown earlier that day. I don't know. Well, so many of the musicians that Max played with died young. He he was one of the lucky ones who had a long career. In 1954, he co-led one of the great jazz quintets with Clifford Brown. Yes. And then uh, that ended when uh, Clifford and uh, pianist Richie Powell died in a car accident in 1956, just a couple of years later. Yes, yes. Major, major event in not only Max's life, but but everybody in the community. But he was he was seriously touched by that and affected. Yes, he Wanted... loved. Go ahead. No, I was just saying he loved Clifford. So yeah, he was he was deeply affected by that. Well, one of the uh, I guess one of the uh, great things that uh, has happened during our lifetime is that these things were recorded. So at least we yeah. know what Clifford Brown sounded like. Yeah, yeah, and Booker Little too. A few years later, I mean, I feel like Booker Little is not—he's not as as widely um, mm -hmm. recognized for his velocity, but he was incredible. And then, like a really a, a, an individual voice, not only in the trumpet, but but with the pen, um, his compositions is like it really seemed like a just very very different different sounding than 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 most. Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah, loss loss is a part of is a part of life. Uh that's that's you know, unfortunately in terms of the pain sense, but in the spiritual sense, that's it's to be expected. 
<laughs> unfortunately, you know, yeah. or fortunately, however you look at it, it could be seen as a as a as a pathway to the next to the next um, plateau. And then loss occurs in other ways. In the early 1960s, uh, Max began working with the vocalist, songwriter, and actress Abby Lincoln. They eventually married, and then they eventually divorced. Yeah, but they had a a. a there, when they were together, they contributed some incredible music, and not only just the music, just the statement of them being together at that particular time, black man and black woman. What they stood for in the community was um, extremely important, and and they did that uh, and, and sacrificed quite a bit to to um, to represent that type of strength <laughs> on a global scale. Um, it was important for us as a community to I see wonder, that. I wonder how much of an influence a drummer has on a singer. Yeah, I mean, it, it a, a lot. If you were to, if Abby was alive or any, when you listen to what Abby talks about in terms of when you hear her interviews or read any transcripts, she has, he influenced her quite a bit in that personal relationship. So, I mean, I, I think we sometimes we have to think outside of those parameters <laughs> that we might traditionally think of but yeah he he influenced her quite a bit in terms of her uh thinking about uh creativity and art and what you have to do to appease an audience or what that whole dynamic of appeasing an audience can be like there's a lot of different ways to to approach that i think that was one of the ways that he he um taught or informed her or gave her a broader perspective regarding that at that particular time in their lives. <clears throat> so yeah, I think I think they helped each other. Should we look a little more into his biography? Maxwell the Mule Roach was born in Pasquotank County, North Carolina, but didn't he spend most of his youth in Brooklyn? Yes, yes, Where, he did. What part of Brooklyn? I believe it was. Is it? Bed-Stuy? Probably, yeah. I think it's bed -Stuy. That's where I grew up, so I understand. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to his daughter again, and she had that hardcore Brooklyn accent, and I was like, oh, wow, I was mistaking it for a Boston accent. But she was like, no, it's, it's hardcore <laughs> Brooklyn. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. It's, 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 now it seems like everybody you, you run into in New York City is a transplant. <laughs> so you miss that. Well, I grew up in Brooklyn. Um how old, <laughs> right. how old was Max when he started playing drums? I'm not exactly sure the exact age that he that he was, but it was early, and he he dedicated a lot of time early to 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 the drums. I mean, but he came from a musical family. He was around the piano. His aunt played the piano, so he was you know in the church. Uh, he was raised in the church, as many musicians are. It was so he he. Mm was well acquainted with the spirituals. I'm not exactly sure the exact age that he started playing drums, but by the time he was a teenager, he had, you know, sat in with Duke Ellington and started, you know, hitting. He was he was like the Tony Williams of that age, or Tony Williams was like him. He was like a, a prodigy, young. So he, and he put in a lot of time, young. He was just well. 18 years old when he was asked to fill in for Duke Ellington's drummer, Sonny Greer, at the Paramount Theater in New York City. What exactly. led to that situation? What, what was that about? 
I don't know what, what, but usually it's like the, the other person who was there was it, it might have been Papa Greer at that particular time, mm -hmm. or was it? And you know they can't make it for whatever reason. I'm not exactly sure what the what the scenario was exactly, but I know that he got the gig. <laughs> wow, Duke <laughs> you know, starting off with Duke Ellington is pretty heavyweight. <laughs> well, that but that's a statement as to his his ability. Because you, you don't really get those opportunities if if you can't if you can't handle it, even at the young age. So I mean, he was young, but he was apparently ready. And then he began playing and recording with Coleman Hawkins, also one of the great old timers. But then Charlie Parker, who was changing, and Dizzy Gillespie, who Bud Powell were changing jazz. Thelonious Monk, then Miles yeah. Davis. Yeah, Kenny Clark. You can add Kenny Clark in there and Mary Lou Williams into that conversation. Um, yeah, yeah. He he was he was a, he was like the, he was a little little younger than uh, Mr. Clark and and was uh, the recipient of some of the innovations that 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 he introduced. But he kind of uh, in was as much as anyone responsible for developing this new style. Definitely, definitely. Mm hmm. I mean, and I, and I don't know if they would have described it as as that, like a, a style or, or or something of that nature. But they definitely did. They were opening up the music into some other territory, definitely. And um, and he was one of the people that was responsible for for um, for that for that movement. He also became interested in African and Afro Caribbean drumming. Yes, he did. He incorporated all of that. He took some trips down to Haiti and I uh, can't remember the name of the percussionist, but you know, Olatenji is a part of this um, Freedom Now sweep um, as well as Rayman T and Potato. So he he had um, a knowledge of uh, the diaspora and, and the rhythms that came with that and the culture and the traditions that came with that. So you talk about West Africa or Cuba or Brazil, um, Puerto Rico and so forth. He, he, he incorporated all of that into his understanding. And his first recording being with Coleman Hawkins, like this actual Freedom Now Suite was a way, because Coleman Hawkins also appears on the Freedom Now Suite that mm. was released in 1960. And this was, he he blessed Max uh, when he asked him to do that, because and this was Max, not a way of repaying him, but a way of showing tribute and homage to him and asking him to to participate in this um, in this revolutionary project. You're calling it revolutionary. They called it bebop, but Max didn't <laughs> like the term bebop. Why? Because that that term, along with jazz, was not a term that was created by the creators. It was a term that was created by other people that were trying to describe the music, and it had a t it has a way of pigeonholing it into an area where it's misunderstood or undervalued. So. I, he was he was a strong proponent against that. He used to tell me that jazz was a four letter word. <laughs> he said every time I say jazz, the money goes down when it comes down. <laughs> when it comes down, which is is true, it's not respected. I know people who curate and program certain things, and they're like, okay, well, the opera gets paid this, the jazz get paid this, but the jazz brings in more people. Why is it funded? Why is the opera funded more than the jazz? You know, so those those Even type today, excuse me. Even I mean, today? currently, currently, yeah, certainly, wow. certainly. So I mean, I'm just saying that it, the stigma that is associated with certain types of music back then it was like, oh, you do drugs, or you're a ne'er do well, or certain whatever, a type of a negative 
type of attributes you would associate with the music, you know, the devil's music, you know, if you're religious and so forth. So, you know, there was a lot of negativity that was associated with it too. And it never really, and then it becomes co-opted by somebody else who doesn't really have a um, connection to the culture and misused and misinterpreted. So I, I think him, he he was my father as well, my teacher as well, Michael Carver. None, none of the people who I've run into who are the musicians have an affinity for that word mm. or for a description and with those terms because it's 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 like I said, it's it's misunderstood. It's not used correctly. And it diminishes the the worth and the greatness of the people who contributed to its creation, the art form that being, because it represents the culture as well. You're listening to Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. And I'm talking with Nasheed Waits, who is a drummer, but also will be the musical director of an event on January 26th, 26th at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, NJPAC, that uh, is called Freedom Now, celebrating Max Roach's centennial. Um, how did you wind up being uh, asked to do this, other than the fact that you did have a connection to Max and he played drums? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I, I was facilitated through uh, Christian McBride and mm -hmm. David Rodriguez. Christian McBride is the artistic director, I believe, at the uh, NJPAC, New Jersey Performing Arts Center, and David Rodriguez is the executive director. And the uh, David Rodriguez has a had a long and um, strong connection and relationship with Max. He produced some of his uh, shows, actually, at Harlem Stage and different places in, uh, around the world, and um, was also the producer of the show of the um of the freedom now suite a reimagined um suite in the 90s at harlem stage with with max that featured max and cassandra and olotunji and a choir and dancers so he he had changed it then as well um so that that's how i got put on board because christian recommended you know, david was saying he, he was telling christian i i want to do something to honor max for his 100th uh birthday or his centennial and christian said oh you should give nasheed a call and see if that's something he would be interested in because he knew of my connection to mm. max so that's how it came that's how my participation came about should we listen to a little more music uh, we could play another excerpt from sonny rollins's freedom suite with max sure you you don't have it reggie it was, or I thought you have it was something said, from the Freedom Now Suite, so you could play that. Whatever you have that has Max on thought, it. Let's, let's, wait, hold on a second. You only receive one piece of music? No, I only have Riverman from uh, Freedom Suite. Oh, yeah, okay, play that. Yeah, yeah. We're going to play something else with Max. Drive a man, he made a light. But the mammy ain't his wife. Chopping cotton, don't be slow. Better finish out your rope. Keep a moving with that plow. 
Drive a man will show you how. Get to work and root that stump. Drive a man will make you jump. Better make your hammer ring. Drive a man will start to swing. Ain't but two things on my mind. Drive a man and quit in time. Two things on my mind. 
Drive a man and quit in time. Drive a man to kind of boss. Ride a man and lead a horse. When his cat or nine tail fly, you'll be happy just to die. Run away and you'll be found by his big old red bone house. Paddy Roller, bring you back. Make you sorry you is black. Drive a man, he made a light. But a mammy ain't his wife Ain't but two things on my mind Drive a man and quit in time We're back with uh, Sheet Waits uh, talking about Max Roach whose uh, 100th birthday would, if he were still alive, would be celebrated on January 26th at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, NJ Pack, in an event called Freedom Now, celebrating Max Roach's centennial. Uh, Nasheed Waits is uh, the evening's musical director. Are you also going to be the MC? <laughs> not, not really. That, that there's going to be the the uh, most of the most of the mic duties will be. Um, handled by Sonia Sanchez and Saul Williams. I might say a few words just to let everybody know about, um, you know, a few details, but not really emceeing, no. I think that, that'll all be handled by the uh, by the mayor <laughs> before he'll be introducing the piece and then we'll get started. So there's going to be a lot of different things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do you, what What do you see as the rundown? When you when you say the rundown, oh, I believe the last poets and maybe another artist, and then the uh, mayor will start the evening, and then we'll do the uh, freedom now suite. You'll play a reincarnation of it. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I picked the wrong track there, but it's interesting. You, you hear that Max didn't always have to play a lot of drums to keep a thing really going. Yeah, ex ex exactly. I mean, he was. Yeah, I learned that lesson from him and my father. They were always chanting, less is more, less is more. <laughs> the less is more lesson. And and right there, you really hear it in, in that uh, selection with the uh, emphasis on the first beat of every measure mm -hmm. in a way where it, it, it really gets across the message of the song, which is the slave drive, <laughs> you know, working that plow. You know, so it's it's got that it's got that element in it, and he conveys it so convincingly in that in that um, in that selection. Now, is, was he uh, one of the only musicians to really get involved in the civil rights movement? No, no, no. There were other musicians who got involved in the civil. But he I heard seemed that to be most committed. Um. Well, maybe. I don't I don't know about that either because I, I'm not familiar with everybody's contribution, but I know that um I believe that I heard that Ornette Coleman played at the March on Washington, like somewhere before, like in some some one of those days and, and the day's activity sometime. I mean, so there are always people contributing in, in different types of ways. I mean, you know, you talk about Paul Ropes and he was a musician too. He mm -hmm. contributed a hell of a lot. Um I mean there's so many He's an opera people. singer. He did Porgy yeah. and Bess. Or, or the, or the uh, activist or the singer, you know, yeah, but an incredible artist. I mean, everybody. My father was, I, 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 I judge from that, you know, maybe not as visible, 
but his uh, integrity and his intent was just as strong. So uh, in the way that he carried himself. So I think a lot of artists and, and what they said and what they did in terms of the artistic choices that they made. So, I mean, my father played a lot with McCoy Tyner. Mm -hmm. I would associate him with somebody who was conscious. I would associate somebody uh, like Gary By the way, Bartsby. one of the great thrills of my life is mm -hmm. that McCoy Tyner has performed live on one of my radio shows. Oh, my goodness, that is... <laughs> yeah, that's... Me, that just is. the two of us in a room together, wow. Ooh. Yeah, so you got to feel all that. You got to feel all that, you know what I mean? And and, this, and it's also just the art with which... I mean, artists don't necessarily always have to to speak with their mouths. They speak with their instruments or with their paintbrush or with their hands if they're a sculptor or whatever. So I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I believe that they a lot of a lot of artists were were very outspoken in their in their own way. Um, maybe not in the way that Max was um, overtly vocally, but in 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 their in their actions and in the way they titled their songs and the, with the um, the spirit with which they which which they led their lives. Well, you mentioned that he formed the group Maboom, mm -hmm. that showcased the mm -hmm. opportunities of modern percussion band to pay tribute to the African roots of, of American music. Certainly, certainly. And, and as I said before, to, to give some context to, to the uh, criticisms of, of the, uh, of said drummer. So you, you got to hear that tapestry formed by all these incredible musicians, but just percussion. So no woodwinds, no trumpets, no pianos, you know, even though piano is 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 very is like a percussion instrument, but um, you know, it was dispelling that myth, so it, it was serving a lot. I mean, it was just and the music was just incredible though too, really. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to work in uh in that unit on a few occasions, and it was terrifying and so rewarding at the same time. <laughs> you know. Well, in the 1970s, Max relocated to Massachusetts, began a professorship at the University of Massachusetts, and remained there until the mid-1990s. So he wanted to do more than just continue playing? Yeah, I mean, that's that's he's, he's always a, a teacher, and I think that also offered him um, an, an opportunity to um, to share his um, his perspective mm -hmm. with the with the youth. Which is an important part of of developing the um and and uh, solidifying like the, the community of of critical thinkers throughout the world, <laughs> or at least in who were attending that university. Um, well, in the early nineteen eighties, throughout the nineties, he even worked for some time with his godson, who was a hip hop pioneer, Fab Five Freddy. Yes. Yes, yes. He, like I said, always on the forefront, or like you said, always on the forefront. Never, and also, I never would have thought of Max Roach in terms of hip hop. Well, I mean, I, I definitely do because I think of him in terms of any um, act that supports the advancement of the community um, in a creative sense, and in a, um, in, a, in a in a sense where they're where they're um, a, an, an enabled to tell their story. Um, and a lot of the, uh, I know in, in my, that's kind of like a commentary on the, uh, uh, what's offered in the community as far as uh, activities, as far as music and so forth. So maybe a lot of times in, in that, in that 
time period, the, the instruments of the public school system and so forth, those were diminishing. So folks gravitated to a different, uh, a, a different way to be able to express themselves creatively. And from that was born hip hop, you know, along with a lot of other sources. And he supported that because it was, uh, it was, uh, um, it was flourishing inside the inner city communities of which he was spawned as well. So am I. <laughs> so, so I think he, he was always in support of that. And he wanted to show that by participating, actively participating in it, that, that validates it in a, in a sense and makes it something that is, um, that is, that is like a, 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 a a, contra a, a, a consistent contributor to the elevation of the culture. Should we listen to a little more music? Let's. Okay.
Roach's Freedom Now Suite. Uh, that was Abby Lincoln. Uh, a whole bunch of other big stars on that album. Uh, and my great thanks to Nasheed Waits for being my guest today on, uh, to talk about a uh, centennial celebration of Max Roach. Uh, it's going to be on January 26th at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, NJ Pack. Um, and it starts at 8 o'clock, I gather? Yes. Is there anything you want to add? We don't have much time. Uh, no, no. I, I just want people to come on out and, uh, and join us in uh, celebrating Max's centennial and the uh, spirit of the work that him and Oscar Brown Jr. conceived <clears throat> in 1960. And I want to thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on my show. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. And that brings us to the end of our show. My great thanks to my executive producer, Kazai Glow, and my audio engineer, Reggie Johnson, for all of the invaluable work that they do throughout the week. If you'd like to check out more of our one-hour interviews on one subject, you can access our archive at wbai.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else that podcasts are available. If you'd like to reach me directly, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. And right now, I, I need to ask you to consider stepping up and supporting BAI as we struggle to stay afloat during these difficult times. We're asking all of our listeners who haven't taken that step already to make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to wbai.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep the unique, in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. That's Gib and the number 2WBAI.org or 212-209-2950. You might also consider becoming a sustaining member of the station, what we call a BAI buddy for $5, $10, $20 a month, any amount you feel comfortable giving for as long as you wish. It allows BAI to plan for the future. And here's a special offer. The first two callers who become BAI buddies for $20 or more right now will receive two tickets to the event we have been discussing at NJ Pack. So I hope you'll call because BAI relies 100% on listening to donations. It allows us to be free speech radio. The number one more time, 212 212- 209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org. It's tax deductible. Please give it in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large. From all of the station, thank you and we hope you'll join us again on Monday when David Sedlak will discuss his book, Water for All Global Solutions for a Changing Climate. We'll see you then. Have a great weekend.